Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hi friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. And right off the bat, you could probably tell my voice isn't up to par. I'm not 100%. I'm actually recovering from COVID. And while I feel a lot better, my voice still sounds kind of froggish. So I apologize. Hopefully you'll bear with me and this won't last too long. But regardless, I want to keep going because we have a lot of content to cover today. If you're just joining us, we are working our way through Matthew. We're in chapter nine right now. And we've been going through piece by piece, little by little, just unpacking some of the rich deep theological insights that are in the passage. And it reveals to us through the culture and the history, some of the things that sometimes we overlook as modern day readers. And so if you are joining us on the show and there's things that you are getting stuck on, or you just don't quite understand, or you want to unpack a little bit, I want to let you know that I do offer spiritual direction and life coaching if you need some one-on-one, or if you have an issue that you want to unpack and, and get prayer for or set some goals, all of those things are available to you. You can go to shehears.org to learn more. So we're in Matthew chapter nine today, and I'm picking up at verse nine. If you have not been with us up until now, I would actually encourage you to go back to the start of this particular series. It is an introduction to the gospels where we talk about what a gospel is, what does the genre of gospel mean? How does that act? And then we're working through the gospels one at a time. So this is Matthew chapter nine, starting at verse nine. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but for the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is actually one of my favorite passages, and there's a number of reasons why, but I think it really encapsulates the heart of the gospel message. But I do want to unpack a little bit some of the issues that were happening behind the scenes that maybe you didn't realize. The first is this idea of tax collectors. So tax collectors were employed as representatives of the Roman government, and they were employed to collect a prescribed amount of duties or taxes from the public, and they generally also saw to public order. And so they were enlisted usually from the native population that lived in a particular area because there was a need for them to know the local people and to know the local customs in order to avoid being deceived. And so if you brought in a Roman from that wasn't from the area, they didn't know who the farmers were. They didn't know who the fishermen were. They didn't know what kind of tax they would be taking. And so they needed somebody from the local population that would know what was going on within that community. 
And so these tax collectors were expected to collect a certain amount of tax money for the Roman authorities, but whatever extra they collected, that would be their own commission. And so there was a tendency to resort to extortion and You know, you could imagine there was no limit on that. So they would take full advantage of that. And then, of course, that meant that they were despised and hated by their own people. They were seen as traitors. And so it became like this proverbial expression to call somebody with a self-seeking outlook a tax collector or a tax collector was known as somebody that was, you know, only looking out for themselves. And so Matthew's tax collection booth must have stood at some place where the VMR is passed close by the lakeshore on the outskirts of Capernaum, because that's the area that we're talking about. And he may have been collecting tolls from the traffic that was going through the area, or he was collecting taxes on perhaps the fish that was caught on the Sea of Galilee. And Herod Antipas was the one that was responsible for all of that. And so he was working under Herod at the time. And so Josephus said that Herod received an annual revenue of 200 talents from Galilee and Perea, which was that taxation region. And that equates to approximately $5 million a year from this tiny, tiny region. And so you can imagine if he was getting $5 million per year on the tax, and then they were being taxed on top of that as the commission for the tax collectors, you can imagine why the people hated these tax collectors so much because they were essentially putting them into poverty. So at this point in time, We know that Matthew had already been exposed to the teachings of Jesus. And so something had been going on in his heart. Uh, God had been preparing his heart by the time Jesus came. And so when Jesus came and called him to be a disciple, he was ready. And so he, of course, is the author of the Gospel of Matthew that we're studying right now, that we're studying from. And as a tax collector, it's interesting because he would have been trained in the scribal skills needed to record that taxation information. And as a Galilean, Jewish Christian, he would be able to understand and interpret what Jesus was doing from the perspective of the expectation that the Jews had from the Old Testament. So the skill set that Matthew had, that the enemy had intended for evil, God was using for good. I love that. I think that's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. And so in verse 11, I want to talk a little bit about this culture of sitting around the table together. Let me read verse 11 again. It says, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So they are sitting at this table. So they, Matthew has invited Jesus back to his home and he is sitting at this table now with this collection of, of people. And so in the ancient world and in general, not just in, in Israel, but across that Mediterranean region, sitting at the table with somebody was an important aspect of their culture. Sitting around a table together had implications both socially and also religiously. And it was a boundary and a rule around who was there and who was included and who was not included from the meal. It said something about your relationship if you were sitting at the table. And so there were ethical reasons for who would and would not be sitting at the table. There were religious reasons for who would and would not be sitting at the table. And for many of the Jews and many of the various groups of the Jews, like the Pharisees and the Essenes, they were particularly known for these table groups, and it essentially defined the identity of their group. So a shared meal was a formal occasion for them. And, you know, one of the things that I think might be helpful to picture it as, and it's different, so don't come after me, but if you think about how in different uh, religious settings, there's different kinds of sacraments, like 
in most Christian churches, there is the sacrament of communion. But before you get to the communion table, there are things that happen. The There's a prayer that's said. There is a, a, a mind posture, a head posture. There's a blessing of the sacraments. It's similar to how this was a sacrament for them. A, a shared meal was a sacrament. It was a religious part of their experience. And so there would have been rituals that would have been performed on these group members. There would have been ceremonial washings of both of them and the food because the food has to be made sacred. And so to have a seat at the table, especially for the Pharisees, the participants would have had to go through this like initiation ceremony and it would have been established that they would have even been worthy to have a seat at the table. So this is the perspective and this is the frame of mind that the Pharisees have when they're coming and they're seeing Jesus sitting at this table. In general, associating with someone and eating a meal with them was a signal of a close relationship and a close identification and an endorsement of that other person and that person's behavior. So thinking through who Matthew was as a tax collector, this is very interesting because tax collectors were considered unclean because they had contact with Gentiles regularly and also because they worked on the Sabbath. And, you know, there just was a general disdain for tax collectors in their culture. They were lumped together with prostitutes and lots of other kinds of sinners, and they represented the fringe of society. And so, in fact, some rabbis at the time would use the example of the tax collector versus the Pharisee as an example of unholiness versus holiness. Okay, that wasn't Jesus's example. That was the Pharisee's example. But that's what we're talking about here, the kind of sinner that would be sitting at the table. And so that word sinner, the way that the Pharisees used to describe people groups, that word sinner, it was somebody that was seen as being in opposition to God's will because they weren't obedient to the law. And so now sinner, of course, is often used as a more general sense. And the way we would read that, it's a more general sense. And perhaps sometimes they did use that as well. But they they were serious when they called somebody a sinner. It meant that they really, truly saw them as being outside of God's will. And so they are talking about Jesus sharing a meal with these type of people. And it's an indication for them that he included these people in his fellowship. And then they think by default, he's condoning their lifestyle or their sinful choices. And so they assume as a wise teacher, he should share their own religious convictions and that they should have the same interpretation of the law. But The biblical principle that they are drawing that conclusion from is not talking about being in a proximity of other sinners. It's talking about being influenced by them, not by avoiding them. And so while they are taking it from scripture, what that scripture actually means, that undercurrent is we don't allow the behavior of the sinners to impact us. But we are not going to avoid them. In fact, you know, scripture talks all the time about how we are to take the light into the darkness, not to run away from the darkness. And so while they did believe in things like mercy, they saw Jesus as pursuing these sinners as a violation of what they interpreted as holiness. And so that leads us to this opening that Jesus has to then clarify who he is and what he has come to do. And what's he say? He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. 
I love that. And so the Pharisees are considering themselves to be righteously healthy, I guess, before God, because they've defined righteousness by their observance of the law, their sacrifice. And remember, we've been talking in the last couple of weeks about the the heart righteousness, the righteousness that starts in the heart. And it's a behavior righteousness, not necessarily a mindset. And so they're blind to their actual sinfulness before God. They think that they're righteous because of these sacrifices they're making, even though they're acting hateful. And so Jesus's offer of salvation to sinners is different from the way that they declare somebody to be clean. And then, of course, now they see that as a threat to their way of life. So at the heart of the good news of the gospel is this fact that Jesus has come to declare it's not the righteous who need the doctor, it's the sick. And of course, you know, he's the doctor. And so the interesting thing in verse 13, let me read it. It says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so that was like a huge shock for them. But what he was doing is he was actually drawing from Hosea 6, 6 in the Old Testament. And so in a couple of different versions in the ESV, it says, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I like how the NLT says it. It says, I want to show, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And so in Hosea's setting, Israel's covenant unfaithfulness was being condemned in spite of the way that they seemed to appropriately worship. And so what he's doing when he's saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is he's prioritizing this idea of living the gospel out faithfully in relation to God. And that has a higher standard than just worshiping and and practicing this worship experience while living disloyally. And so what he's getting at is the heart of the motivation of why they're doing it. If you are just worshiping and you're going to church on Sunday, but you're hateful to your family the rest of the week, he doesn't want that. He's saying the, the worship part is not the part I'm concerned about. The worship part, yeah, that's great, but I'm concerned with how you're treating people. I'm concerned with what's in your heart. I desire love, not sacrifice. And so what he's saying on that, he's recognizing that it's things like mercy and justice and faithfulness and love. That is the center of the Torah message that he is interpreting for them and the way they've interpreted it as it being all about sacrifice and ritual. But with that being done empty, he's saying that's not the priority. You're getting it all wrong. And so I love that because if I'm quite honest, I have been one of those people sitting at Matthew's table. And in fact, my entire life, I've never really felt like I've had a seat at the table of the righteous people, but I've been the one sitting at the table full of sinners. And, you know, maybe perhaps now that looks a little bit different because I think prior to me having a relationship with Jesus, I was always the one that was sitting at that table full of outcasts. And now perhaps I may have a different identity because of who Christ is and who he is in me, but I still long to go and sit at Matthew's table because I want to share with people that are still stuck in their mess the hope of the gospel. And so Matthew's table for me is pretty symbolic because it is, for me, the definition of outreach ministry and evangelism and discipleship and all the things that God has put in me to do, because I want people to see that Jesus cares more about them and their heart than the way that they're behaving right now, because that will take care of itself. Once you fall in love with Jesus, the behavior takes care of itself. It's the heart. That's where it starts. And that's what he's trying to get through to these Pharisees. So 
given that insight, I'm going to go back and reread these handful of verses, and hopefully that's helpful for you. It says, starting in verse 9, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we have a seat at Matthew's table, that we have a seat at your table. God, that you come and you sit down with us despite our sin and our brokenness and our pain and all of the things that we have done that should keep us away from you. You come and find us where we're at. God, thank you. Thank you so much for being the God who rescues us in the middle of our mess. God, I pray for my friends today that perhaps find themselves in that place on on both sides of the table. Perhaps they are one of the righteous that are pointing fingers at those that, that they feel need condemned. Or perhaps they are sitting at the table just wishing and praying that Jesus would look their way. God, I pray no matter where they're seated, they would recognize that you came for them. It is not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. God, we thank you that you are the one that reaches in and pulls us out of the mud and changes our hearts from the inside out. God, I pray for the tangible reality of your presence in the lives of my friends today. Lord, I thank you and praise you for who you are, the way you reveal yourself to us through your word. I praise you and thank you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, friends, we'll talk tomorrow. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, 
If this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.